Ari Rastigar. Rastigar, uh, just like exactly like it's spelled. Um, and it's Rastigar Property Company. And I'm the founder and CEO. This. This, 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 this is Diversified, diversified. Game. 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 A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose. And it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I have Ari Rastigar. This guy is a real estate tycoon, for real. If you put his name in, you'll see him in Forbes. You'll see his story, amazing story. You know, family from Iran, everything was going good and things, till you know, things turn. And we're going to get his take on how that turn was coming to America, doing, you know, every type of hard labor job and now running a real estate, you know, I mean, he's a mogul for real. And I don't want to say how much money is because I don't want you guys bothering him, but I want Ari, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, thank you for coming on. And, you know, I just want to, you know, give the game and, you know, let's start though with you have an upcoming book, The Gift of Failure. Let's talk about that book and what it's about and why people it's going to change their lives. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. So I feel like we're, you know, from a kind of societal standpoint, everything is becoming like um, looking wealthy, but not being wealthy. Right. And I, and I kind of, and look, and, and the people that, you know, have seen, have seen success in whatever industry, that are showing it or, you know, some people are flaunting it. Some people are showing it. It's semantics. That's all good and well, but the side of the story that I'm not seeing is really is the truth. And the truth is what, what it takes to really become successful in any industry. And from my vantage point, that is failure. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, like you, the, the amounts that you're succeeding, you look at any sport and I'm not a big sport guy. I have a, you know, a lot of professional athlete investors and dear friends, but you know, you look at baseball and right. If you, if you bat a 300, you're not just good. You're in the hall of fame. I mean, that means you struck, struck out 70% of the time. You know, you look at MJ, like, right. Like you're, these guys are missing 50% of their shots and are the best in the world. And so, and so there's this fundamental issue of around how do you become successful? And, and I believe that it's through the introspection of failure that you find those lessons that move you forward. So John Maxwell talks about failing forward, you know? And so I wanted to just kind of just, just be honest and just share some of the things that were just mind blowingly difficult for me um, and what I learned from them, you know, and what the options could have been, you know, when you got kind of kicked in the teeth, um, what did you do with that? What did you learn from that? And I would like to see that <clears throat> more from, you know, from our role models. And I'm not necessarily, you know, in that category, I don't even know what, you know, what that is, but some of these, you know, bigger figures that I sit and I talk with that are dear friends of mine, like that road to success was a mother. And, you know, and, and I want to know about that. I want to hear that side of the story. Like, if you're going to show me your Benz and you're going to show me your, your mansion and show me your planes, 
you know, also tell me what it took. Like, show me the other side of it. Show me a little bit about that vulnerability because um, I've come to know as a father of three, as, you know, running a, you know, running a pretty sizable business, I think there are these, these things that, that are, that are failures. And, but in reality, are they failures or is that my stepping stone? Is that my chance to learn? I know for me, you know, every day, every moment, you have that moment where something goes wrong and uh, you fix it and you show up and you move forward. And um, I've come to find that to be a gift and failure to be the other side of the coin of success. It's not a separate thing. It's not a bad thing. And I've come to learn that later in life that um, that those were all the blessings were. All the blessings were that moment where you feel like you can't go on and you just keep going on. You know, you're, this is happening right on time. I know we have um, we we had to have a, a reschedule, but this is happening right on time because every marketer out there, and I'm a consultant and a PR guy, but every marketer out there is saying how you can't even sell a course right now or a book unless you're in front of this camera every day, giving content, buying ads, and there's companies out there for you know a couple of thousand dollars will make you look like Grant Cardone and Gary V. And that's fine, except you're lying because you don't live that life, you know? And so what are your thoughts on where we're going? Because it's the Twilight Zone. I'm, I'm old school, um, black and white Twilight Zone. You know, we're in Black Mirror, season three, episode one, where everyone's just putting on air. So give us your thoughts on that. Um, look, I, I have a lot of respect for, for Gary and for Grant and what they've accomplished in their own rights. Um, you know, but to me, it's, it's about personal integrity. That's my, that's my creed, you know? So Benjamin Franklin said that a quote that's, I've always really, you know, resonated. I was an English major in undergrad. So I, you know, had went to two community colleges, you know, flipped burgers at Johnny Rockets when I was in high school and delivered pizzas through college and had to go to two community colleges before I even got into A&M. And then, um, you know, then went to, you know, went to law school afterwards on a scholarship, but um, we need to start telling the truth more. I mean, there is just this photoshopped world, you know, right. has become like this mirage and, you know, I, I just want to see some truth and I don't care where that comes from, but just be honest of whatever that is. And I think that there's going to be a massive gravitas towards honesty and towards vulnerability and towards personal integrity because it's become so rare, <laughs> It's yeah. become something that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really exist. It's this image. And like, for me, I'm kind of old school. Like I, I'm that J. Cole middle child, right? Like I'm 39 years old, right? And so that's my, that's my son calling me right now. Um, you know, so, but I'm that J. Cole middle child where I'm the oldest millennial. So yeah. I'm like literally stuck in the middle of two generations. I went to law school, you know, I'm a licensed attorney, you know, I'm very, you know, I'm schooled in English literature, but at the same time, I'm a technologist and, you know, I, I see the world through the eyes of the millennial generation, but, you know, I sit with, you know, the heads of the public pension funds and insurance companies and, you know, larger institutions that are our investors and can speak their language too. And I kind of joke that I'm the plug-in, like I'm that API plug-in between these, those two generations. And, and they see the world with such drastic different eyes that I find myself being a translator you know, or attempting to kind of translate what these, you know, what the differences are. Um, but what I do know for sure is without that hard work, without that grit, none of it works. And that's universal. 
you know, grit is what you want to see. Like you said, whether it's someone pushing it out content, even if it's not real, you know, truthful content, if you're putting in that work and you're pushing it massively, you know that someone's going to watch it and they're going to look at it and you're going to build that following or build whatever that thing is. That's partly a shame. So I just hope that um, there's more, more authenticity because what I found in my life, it's the only thing you can't fake is authenticity. Like either you are, or you're not like, and people aren't stupid in the long run. I, people like they can tell whether or not you're the real deal. If you're a musician, you can put out one great record, but we'll know whether or not you're, you know, you're the weekend 10 years later, or whether or not you're, you know, you know, you're little Wayne or you're Drake or you're like, are you, can you keep be, being prolific or are you, or was it a one hit? Were you one hit wonder? Yeah, and if you are a one hit wonder, um, you know, rock with that Afro man, you know, because you got high and rock that whole thing and do the same thing, you know. Or Shaggy, that. Shaggy did it. Shaggy did it, right? Shaggy has that, you know, has one iconic banger, and he still travels the world and gets paid to have, you know, to to perform the one song that we all know and love for years. It'll be forever in one of your playlists. Wait, Ari. Shaggy's going to want to, you know, tweet this out and say, you got to remember, I've done albums with Sting. Not that we remember any of the songs, right? So I get you. I have, he- a lot, I have a lot of, it's like, I have a lot of respect for Shaggy. I have a lot of respect for, for Craig David. I mean, through, yeah. guys through that, through that era, you know, but at the end of the day, no matter how great those catalogs and those records are from the mainstream, there's only a few songs that, you know, have stayed in that, you know, high level, you know, um, that prolific kind of iconic nature, but you're right. There's so much work and so much catalog behind it. True back to that point we made before, like, even though there's that one record of that one hit wonder, you know, right. Whether Shaggy or them are one hit wonders, I have no idea, but there's a million things behind that, that created that one hit wonder, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like there's a million records. There's a huge catalog behind it that someone might not even know about that went into that one creation of greatness. Well, you know, your family being from Iran and you also being fluent and have studied, I believe it was in uh, Mexico. Yeah. You know, um, how do you diversify? Because, you you know, you might like Shaggy, but you also might like Luis Miguel and say, you know, um, these are are, our classics. But in business, because you've seen your family go from, you know, lawyers, doctors, high positions in Iran, and then there's a regime change, which we almost had one, you know, um, six, seven months ago. In this country, it looked like things were going to be taken over at the Capitol. Um, have you set yourself up to say, you know what, Babylon is on fire, just in case I'm going to set myself up over here as well? Because, you know, diversification and geo arbitrage is a real thing. Oh, it's a real thing. And, and I, I mean, you make some phenomenal, phenomenal points. And um, I'd be remiss to tell you that I haven't, you know, these thoughts haven't crossed my mind because in my day job, really, I'm a risk manager. That's what I do for a living. Right. And so it's, oh, you're an investor, you do real estate, whatever, whatever. At the end of the day, that's what I do is I manage risk. Right. That, that's plain and simple. That's really the difference between an investor and a gambler is how well you can manage risk and how well you can diversify in whatever instance that means, right? So I happen to believe, you know, I'm an optimist and a pessimist both, right? I got, I got both, I got both, one on each shoulder, right? Like the lawyer in me is trained to think of how things are going to go wrong. The entrepreneur in me is trained to think that we can make the world better, right? And things are going to be great, right? So it's, it's, it's a, always a dialogue in my head between these two, you know, opposing forces. But 
my hope and my prayer is that, you know, we won't see that cataclysmic shift in culture in this country as we have in some other countries. I believe that, you know, there will be an endurance of, of what is fundamentally American. And I do believe that we're going to find, you know, move closer towards the social change towards, you know, writing some of these injustices. Um, and that's my hope. And that that's my belief. And I try not to get too wrapped up in, you know, the political landscape and try to kind of break down the difference between what's political and, you know, what's real, what's spin, what's rhetoric and what's actually real. But um, diversity is the, the social landscape is changing. I mean, there's a systemic shift that's happening in countries all over the world. You know, we're in, like you said, in the twilight zone, watching this Delta variant, you know, with COVID, you know, with COVID, you know, you might see another massive resurgence. The stock market is doing things that we've never seen before. And really the, the variables have changed. The game has changed. And you're right. I, you know, although I was born in Austin and born in Texas, you know, my, my parents, it was like a lot you know my dad really is the is iranian my mother's german but um it was like a light switch it went from like you said from being doctors and lawyers and you know having you know land and all these other things whatever it you're on which to zero you know and my dad talks about it constantly he loves this country and you know loves you know loves the constitution he's an attorney himself and you know as an attorney you're a protector of the constitution uh and my hope is that we stay, we continue to stay true to that because um, if we don't, you know, there's, there's big trouble ahead and there's really, really big trouble ahead. Um, but when I look at everything and I look at the risk and I look at other countries, I look at their, um, at their markets, at their freedoms, and you, you take, you factor all these things in, there's still no place like the United States of America, mm-hmm. period, hard stop. I mean, there's no, banking system, no economy, um, no safety, no freedom like that we have in this country still is, can we argue there's an erosion of that to some degree, maybe, but there's still no other country that's number two. Try to find me someone in this world that'll trade their passport for an American passport. And I don't think there's anybody that would trade. Not really. Like you, you, you hear that cap, like I'm moving to whatever, you know, I'm trading in my passport. That's all cap. You know, like, it's, come on, like you're, you're not trading your United States passport or your citizenship for any other citizenship in the world. And if you are, you're doing it with England and England is the, is the number two or Canada. But other than that, like, I, you know, I just don't, I don't see it yet. Well, if you are, you probably have so much money and there's probably some other factors. Um, you know, I've had guests like the nomad capitalist, uh, white guy from Ohio, and he was like, I just don't, the values have changed. And he's, he's our age, you know, he's in this older millennial. Every generation says that rock and roll is ruining this generation. Oh, rap music is going to ruin this generation. Oh, electronic EDM. It's the, I mean, it's the, 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 we've been saying this since the beginning of time. Oh, this year they're gone, gone. Like, oh no, they gone. No, 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 no. That generation, they gone. And so, you know, so Mark Twain says, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. Yeah. And, And so like, part of me, you have to handicap, that commentary with everybody says that shit. 
like every generation says, oh, this is changing. Oh, no, my God, like mini skirts or bikini or whatever. Like it's it, this is gone, gone. And so I don't know. Well, well, you know, and you mentioned Mark Twain. Can you teach the audience how do you block out enough time to read 10 to 15 books a week? Because a lot of folks, I tell people, read a book a week and your life will change. Uh, oh, well. From Miles Monroe, but how do you block out that time? Is it audio books? Is it your is it physical books? Do you have a chip? Are you on any you know any any of the, the fancy pills? I don't want to say the names because I don't want kids grabbing them thinking they're about to be nah, you know, none, of that. <laughs> none of that for me though. Uh, not you know it's funny. Reading is a skill. Reading is a skill. Okay, and people think of reading as maybe some passive exercise or maybe something they do in college or in high school, whatever for schooling. But reading is like, it's no different than basketball or being a plumber, right? Like it's, it's a trade. And once you start thinking of reading as a trade or a skill, what do you do to get better at it? You practice, like, like you practice. And right. So I've been reading, you know, many books a week or whatever you want to call it for 25 years. I've been reading since I was four years old. I was an English major, right? And, and I'm an attorney by trade. Like what that tells you is we read like a lot. And so the answer to your question is how do I block off the time? That was your question. And questions are the answer. Um, that is the work. I don't block off time for reading. Reading is the work. What I oh. do to buy real estate or investing quote unquote is only because I've stayed curious, that I've continued to gather intelligence, that I continue to follow the markets and read the data and continuously nonstop be learning and, and, and staying fresh. Because if I'm not doing that, I can't make good decisions. So I don't block time off to make reading. I block time off for what you call work. I love it. I love it. Now, this was a new one for me. Um, you have a bio charging machine. I had to go and say, what? Wait, 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 hold on. Did this guy go into the future? And, you know, uh, the future is faster than you think. And it's here now. The future right? is That's here. Yeah, the future is here. I love that book. So every time I have to reference Peter. No, it's great. Michael, it's great. Yeah. But the bio charging machine, give the game on that because that was a new one um, for me. Well, Look, I mean, they asked, you know, I'll give you two little pieces of history. So, and they asked Albert Einstein one day, how does it feel to be the smartest man in the world? And he said, I don't know. Ask Nikola Tesla. <laughs> and so Tesla, so Tesla said, if you want to understand the universe, think in terms of energy, wavelength, and frequency. Period. Right? So our bodies are electrical systems. Like you need a certain amount of voltage, like your energy, your cells produce ATP, produce energy, right? So these aren't esoteric issues. So how do we recharge our body? Okay, literally. And so you can do that through food, through exercise, um, but charging your body and using voltage to keep your biome and your, your biochemistry, you know, it's like charging your phone, right? Like you, you have to plug it into the wall. So there are pieces of technology now 
that quite literally charge your cells. So whether they're infrared light beds, and you've heard probably seen this with near near and far uh, infrared light beds, they're quite literally bringing energy into the body with the use of technology. And the biocharger um, does that as well. And you know you can Google it, look it up, and you know you know they they're available for purchase now. But effectively, it's using a Tesla coil. This, this one piece of technology is using a Tesla coil to kick off of the frequencies of your body and recharging your cells. So the science is actually um, pretty mundane, uh, honestly, and it's pretty simple. I mean, Tesla coil was developed in the 1800s. And so this is not anything that's new. It's just more accessible, I think. And so for me, my life is about energy and vitality. I'm only as good as the decisions that I make, which are only as good as the intelligence that I've, that I've garnered. And I'm only as good as my energy and only as good as my vitality. These are the fundamentals. So back to the reading concept, I'm reading constantly anything around me so that I can make better informed decisions. If I show up to work and I don't have energy or vitality, I can't give you my best self. And so that goes back to why I eat the way I eat. It's why I train like an Olympic athlete, literally. It's why... Um, you know, I'm doing, you know, stretching, yogas, lifting weights, eating certain ways, not, sh- you know, I don't, I have a full-time age management doctor, literally, that's testing my blood every 60 days for 150 different things and making sure I'm taking the right supplements, food sensitivity tests, because I'm all I have. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's not vanity or some kind of selfish mechanism as I am the asset. I'm me. Like, I, I, if I don't take care of me, how am I going to take care of my kids? How am I going to take care of, you know, my customers? How am I going to serve? Like, where is my servitude going to come from if I have no fucking energy? Yeah, yeah. Can, can and, and will that information be in your book? Because I don't want to give it. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay, it, it is. Okay. okay. In the book. I mean, it, it is in the book. And, and, and the book is, you know, look, I, I've been writing and reading my whole life, as I told you, right? And, you know, whether that's screenplays, whether that's producing documentaries, um, a documentary that I executive produce uh, this past year called Five Years North was nominated for a DuPont Award. And, you know, I take, you know, that art form very, very seriously. You know, it's something that I really love. And I cover a lot of these issues um, in the book as you being your most important asset. Like, and so when you're on an airplane, they say, you know, if something were to happen, you know, the oxygen mask will drop from the ceiling and put the mask over yourself or you do the next person next to you it's become cliched that 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 saying, but that's, that's really what this is all about is with the reading, with the, you know, biocharging, with the eating, with the health is everything is everything. Like I'm an extension of my business. And until I took responsibility for that and realized, okay, any problem that happens in my life, I happen to be there. So hmm, maybe it's me. Like maybe it's like, maybe it's me. So how do I go about dealing with that? And it's radically focusing on self with the intention of contribution. You know, the intention being to contribute, focusing on self, improving self continuously, and taking that, recycling it, and using it for growth and contribution. Talk about the power of partnerships. I know, you know, you had to have a friend pay for, to get your transcripts out. And I've been there before. And I wish I had that type of friend or a family member who could have paid for my transcripts when I needed them. Because it's like you did the work, but you can't get, you know, the body, right? 
the, the hospital still holding it because there's a bill. Um, that really is happening places like in Kenya, for so to speak. You know, they hold the body till you get the money. Um, talk, yeah, talk about the power of partnerships because that's really what, when I was researching, I mean, you've just developed some great partnerships and, you know, done. I've been very lucky, man. I've been very lucky. I have, you know, partnerships. We Let's use a, a different word. Let's use relationships, mm -hmm. right? You know, and, and partnership and relationship, I think, are interchangeable in what you're asking. Um, but I've been very fortunate to be around. I mean, some of the greatest, greatest real estate minds ever, literally, literally. And at this point in my life, be able to not only call them friends, but call them partners in many instances, mentors, um, idols, honestly. And for those out there that maybe don't have those the direct plugs to some of those people and i got very lucky to know them like my wrestling coach's cousin you know from middle school was running one of the biggest banks in the world and like meaning like it was this very serendipitous and i have to look at his providence as a blessing as because i don't know how you make that stuff up like i don't know how like did i walk through the door yes did i show up and work 20 hour days for 20 years if i had never taken a vacation in my entire life true Literally, like when I take my kids and, you know, we go on vacation with my wife and the family, like a lot of times I get an extra hotel room and staff flies in. Like, so, you know, do I focus that time with my kids for a couple hours and play with them and give them dad time? Absolutely. It's the best moments of my life, but I don't, I don't turn it off. If that makes sense. Like period, hard stop. I don't turn it off. Um, but the greatest mentors that I've had in my life are in books or on podcasts or on um, it, it, it doesn't have the relationship that you build with people is the most important, you know, that human interaction, which we're tribal beings, but with the advent of YouTube and, you know, all this free knowledge that's there, if you put yourself in that position, your mentor can be whoever that's great, whether it's an author, whether it's a musician, whether like, you can get to know these people through multimedia, through books, through whatever modality that you want and build a personal relationship through those mechanisms. It doesn't necessarily have to be a piece. And that's where I, that's where I started because I didn't know anybody growing up. Man, like if parents, like a child of immigrants, I had a speech impediment. You know, I couldn't even talk. I had to go to seven years of speech therapy to learn how to talk. You know, like, so when I'm delivering pizzas, like, I'm, a, I was a, I'm a regular dude, man. Like I'm just a regular guy that wouldn't leave yeah <laughs> i just want to leave like you can't yeah. get rid of me you can't shake me like like i'm gonna show up before you i'm gonna leave after you like you're gonna go to sleep i'm gonna be working and that's what the kobe bryant's the will smith they all everybody talks about it the Les browns just keep pushing and and outwork everybody else now you mentioned youtube and you know through the whole YouTube streets, there's this whole thing of, oh, high value men. Women want high value men. I get a kick out of the stuff being old and married um, that, you know, if you make six figures, you're now suddenly a high value plumber, um, even though you might work for somebody, right? Um, how important and how impactful has marriage life been? Because you actually, unlike many people talking about it, you actually have a woman. 
you actually have children. I'm trying to catch up to you. I'm trying to break through Morena, but uh, you know, <laughs> you I got, know. I got three. I got, you I got, got three. three. And we've been married almost 10 years. I mean, 10 years coming up in September. And, um, man, I never, I ne so, some, some of my closest friends still to this day, you know, are my friends, since, you know, since fifth and sixth grade. Like, so I've stayed very close with, you know, that kind of core group of my friends for, you know, coming up on, you know, 30 years, basically. Right. And I was the last one that would have been married and the last one that would have had kids or anything of that sort. Yet I was the first, you know, so it's funny that, you know, the way, you know, the way the cards are kind of, uh, the kinds of cards are dealt, but, um, kids, man, are the, the greatest thing in life, you know, the is, is the greatest thing really in life. Like to me, like being able to see this individual that, is from you, but is not you like, you know, cause kids are not your own. I mean, you, they come to you, you're like all your, your protectors of them, but they're their own souls. They're their own people. They have their own personalities. Every one of our children from the day they were born, we could start to see their personality and watch that transcend and watch them be their own individuals. And in your, in your there and, blessed to be around them and watch that magic that all children have like they have this this innocence this radiance that is just purity and you're lucky to be able to witness it and be around it and i know for me it changed me fundamentally like when my first was born and i held my daughter like i mean i lost my shit obviously but i'm thinking oh my god like i gotta take care of I can't even take care of myself. Like I have to take care of this little angel. Like what am I, I got to get to work. Like I got to, you know? And so it was a huge motivator for me. Like when you want something to happen, it's different when you have to do it. Like wanting and like a want and a must are not the same thing. Yeah. And so when you have kids or you have a family or a wife and then those multiple kids, you say, oh, I want a four, four, five bedroom house, let's say, whatever. That's your goal. Well, if you're a single dude, like you don't need a five bedroom house. Not really. But if you have five kids and a wife, the, the scale of needing a five bedroom house has increased exponentially. Does that make sense? It, no, it all makes sense. And so yeah. when that must happens and you have that mindset shift change into, I have to do this and people rely on me, things blossom. It's almost like your world expands as that circle or that, you know, right? There's this old proverb that, you know, the larger the house that you have, the more snow you know, that you have to shovel from your, your driveway or your roof or, you know, whatever it is, right. There's, there's more like you have expansion and, and family has done that, you know, for me in a very unexpected way, um, expanded my world, certainly made me a better investor because I look at things on their time. I'm like, Hmm, when I was two years old, well, we didn't have too much. Okay. When I was seven, when I was five, when I was eight, well, I'll hold it for 10 years. I'll hold it for five. Oh, no. Okay. Maybe in 20 years, maybe, you know, everything is their timeline. Like it became about me, but when it came to my own, you know, success, like I'm a simple dude, man. I have everything I'd ever wanted in my life. Like 
I don't need watches. I'm not really a car guy. I drive a, you know, drive a Denali. Like I don't, you know, it's all, it's all about them. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, what can I do to make their lives better? No, but but I also even want to go even deeper because, you know, having kids, but also being able to have your kids where you can say good morning and good night. Cause somebody will be out there. Oh, I got five kids and you know, three baby mamas. And it's like, no, you don't have what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the peace of, I know when I leave this country or I leave this earth in 80 years, like my stuff is together because I got my wife taking care of stuff. My kids have a, a sense of money. Right. And I, my kids are little, but it's um, whatever little is, they're always little. Cause they're like, we're not little anymore. But like the fact that your stuff is together, you know, those guys, they got tons of money. They might have 10 times the amount of money that you have, but they got kids spread all over. Their kids hate them. They only call them for a loan or for money because they don't want to pay it back. Like, what is that feeling like for you? Um, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think that's uh, I think some of those scenarios are tragic. You know, because you kind of forget why you're doing any of it. You know, if that makes any sense. Like the, you can tell a lot about an individual by the way their children greet them. You know, like, are they happy to see dad and mom? And when you walk into the room, like, or like you said, are they calling you just for the loan or just for whatever? And I've been very fortunate that, you know, my wife, the mother of my three children is an unbelievable human being. And, um, unbelievable mother and and has really trained the kids to understand work you know understand you know when dad's not home what's going on you know and what that really means and um but i couldn't imagine a world that you know that i had that separation from my kids like i it's like saying like where's my right arm like my right arm is in New York and I'm in Texas. It's like, what does that mean? Like, I, I couldn't, like, it's unimaginable to think anything other than, you know, the children are, are there. Like this is, I built this for them. Like I built it first for my grandpa and my dad, you know, and I put my name on the door because my grandpa, before he passed away, who was a huge man. I mean, like seven gold medals in the national, in the national games for track and field psychiatrist, medical doctor, poet, spoke multiple languages, taught at the university, wrote books in history. And I mean, like, I mean, just an unbelievable, just, just larger than life human being. And um, he would tell me, put your, you know, put the name on the door. And remember, that's not your name. You stand on the shoulders of giants. Like, that's my name. That's your father's name. That was my father's name. And so remember, if anything happens, or you're about to make some kind of decision, you remember you look at that and you remember this isn't you bud like like right and and i've taken that for my children is that i don't want them to be like me like i want them to be authentically them like you know i want them to be them and you know my daughter my eldest reminds me daily that when she's ceo how things are going to be <laughs> yeah one yeah. of one of them is she reminds me that you know she's a night out like i am and you know, she has trouble kind of sleeping because her brain just is working constantly. But she tells me that when she's CEO, I'm going to go to bed at eight o'clock. <laughs> so I'm going to have lights out at eight like she has to. And then, you know, whatever. Then I'm going to go to bed early. And, um, you know. 
Yeah, no, I got one of those too. Uh, I, I, one of my two is like that. I'll put on some, put the scriptures on for you or something you can learn. Y'all go to sleep. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll go to sleep some way. Now, with the success that you've had and the best is yet to come, I mean, you know, we're all still young. We're just now getting into the fold and um, trying to tell some of those elders at 65 and up, hey, y'all can go to bed now at eight. Let us get in the, you know, driver's seat because we're done sitting in the passenger seat. What is a community give back that you are doing or that you plan on doing in the future? Yeah, I mean, the Rastigar Family Foundation, you know, really is is a, is a huge part of our life, okay? And, and it's becoming larger and larger, you know, as the business and things get bigger and bigger. But, you know, even when we didn't have much, you know, we always were giving to some cause, you know, whether it was, you know, Save a Child, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, you know, um, there's certain things that we are very passionate about, you know, and I don't look all, you know, any type of injustice I have a problem with fundamentally, you know, and that's, you know, but you kind of have to, you pick your battles, you pick the ones and um, a significant part of our businesses and apartments and housing, we're building 4,000 houses in Austin alone right now. Um, and so we're responsible for a lot of people's homes. And so homelessness it fundamentally follows that. So I, I find it incongruent for me to build, own so many houses or homes or um, and not care about homelessness because it's not really homelessness. Home is, a, um, is a, an emotion. It's houselessness is really what it is. So the word is actually wrong and it's tied to mental health you know, in so many ways. So that's something that we're very passionate about, um, that we contribute to those causes. We're thinking about them, thinking about sustainable ways to um, create infrastructure around that issue um, so that people um, have that type of shelter. Food fundamentally is a big deal for, for me. Um, anything around children, the safety of children and equal rights for all individuals is a big problem for me fundamentally and uh we support those issues you know we're you know around health and wellness you know we support you know fc westlake which is the you know one of the largest you know youth soccer clubs you know certainly in austin and also in texas and we partnered with adidas and you know the rest of our logo is this big on the jerseys of um you know all players k through 12 boys and girls um and one of the reasons around that was the the grant that we gave was to bring underprivileged kids into this, you know, into this program so they can not only evolve socially, but soccer is a sport that, um, you know, from a cardiovascular health standpoint, from a unity of culture standpoint, it's the world sport um, has a lot of fundamental core values that we believe in. Although I've never been a big soccer fan, not really big, a big sports fan myself um i love the unity around um that soccer brings and the ethos that soccer brings so yes it's something that we're very cognizant of but i don't separate the two like my work is my worship my work is what i'm giving um enhancing communities building things um creating opportunity creating jobs creating so i don't want to separate the philanthropic stuff with what my core business is because to me they're the same thing um, because if I'm not showing up every day and doing good work and then over here, but I'll like do something over here that's 
all messed up and then, oh, no, no, I'm going to make a bunch of money and then give it to this cause over here. Like that's not congruency. And, um, and that's, that's where my main focus right now is, is being as congruent as I possibly can. Well, I know, you know, you speak in multiple languages that there in that history of the way you talk about your, your grandfather, you know, in, in every interview, you bring your grandfather and your father's, you know, legacy. And you're in a place where that, you know, Iran is never, it's like Russia, never put in a positive light. How have, I, I want to leave a young person who might be struggling with this, might be in Texas with the good old boys. I call myself a black neck because sometimes my thinking is my kids say, that's, that's old, daddy. That's the old school. You need to come into the, 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 the now. But how have you dealt with having the, the lineage and you'll hear somebody talk about, you know, the works and the things that your grandfather was, you know, he built and was a part of, like there are some terrorists because of, you know, the political climate. And, and I've told people, no one has bombed more people than America. So you can't, you know, nobody. Um, but how have you dealt with that? Because on the surface, somebody may not even know you're from Iran. They might be like, hey, man, he's a good old, you know, good old boy. Redneck or hillbilly, you which one are you? And and you know, how have you dealt with that for a young person to figure out in their own? Like, can I tie in two cultures? <clears throat> it's uh, again, it's it's a wonderful question, and I I love listening to you, and I I love I, I love your craft, man. Like honestly, like you're you're a best in class kind of human being. Just as a quick aside. Um, so I, I really, I, I'm really enjoying this, but the, the answer to that question is <clears throat> it's a different world. You know, the world that, you know, the Iran that, you know, was my dad and my grandpa's Iran doesn't exist anymore. And I'll give you a simple example. You know, my grandma that passed away in her eighties and I was really close with, she went to law school when she was 22 years old in Iran. Wow. So, so think about, you know, where, we're talking about in terms of women's rights, in terms of freedom of religion, in terms of these different issues of where Iran is today versus 60 years ago, right? So <clears throat> it was a country that is, you know, unrecognizable to what it's come to today because of the radical views of a few, okay? And so to, you know, to your point before, there's, there is a, a, a faction or a small group of people that see the world through a, a lens that I certainly don't agree with um, in a lot of different ways. That if take anything that's taking away human rights is a problem. Anything that's any time that you know voices are being silenced is a problem. You know, and it's why our First Amendment, you know, the Constitution of the United States freedom of speech, you know, that, that fundamental inherent right. And our founding fathers believed that these were inherent human rights. Certainly, um, you know, what makes us human. And right now Iran doesn't have that, you know, by any stretch of the imagination and the plight that my family endured is, is similar to the plight of many Iranian Americans that are throughout Southern California. So if you go through Beverly Hills or go through Los Angeles, you know, you'll find a lot of Iranian Americans that share the same story um, and had to come and rebuild in this country. But, you know, what I will say is that um, you can't judge a culture or a people or a country by just the acts of a few 
ever, you know, whatever that is, or, you know, look at like an Osama bin Laden, or you look at, you know, these, uh, or serial killers, Charlie Manson, or, you know, you can't go and take that behavior of one or two people, or even of a microcosm of a government of a country, and then judge that against the people, judge that against the beliefs. Like you can't take that generalization all the way there. Like it's gone, it's gone too far. And so what I know of Iran, of my family is um, an ancient culture um, that is some of the richest poetry, arithmetic, um, language of the world. I mean, it's one of the ancient cultures of the world. You know, the Chinese share this, you know, the Greeks, the Persians, and we have to know our history, know where we came from to know how we got here. At the end of the day, you know, America was an English colony, you know, and we have to understand that history. We have to understand, um, how we got to this point, you know, as an investor, looking back on historical data, understanding things, although we're forward looking and, you know, in our approach, understanding how we got here, I think is unbelievably important. And so, but I w assure you that what we know as Iran today is not the Iran that, um, that my family grew up in, you know, not the pictures, not the stories. It was a, it was a country where all religions were accepted, where there was you know, equality between men and women, where there was, you know, people were afforded more rights and more liberties than they're afforded now. And um, to me, that's a, that's a tragedy to see digression, like as a culture, as a humanity, we should be progressing, we should be moving forward into the next evolution, whatever that is, but we should find ourselves better, you know, Benjamin Franklin, said that, you know, be at peace with your neighbors, be at war with your vices, and every year find yourself a better man. I think we should take that same mentality as a country, as a people, to be at war with our vices, you know, find peace, and every year find ourselves better people, better country, better nation. And the only way to do that, by my account, is more liberty, is more freedom, is more ability to express, and um, the places that you can do that, um, you know, I think, um, are special. Well, I want you to tell the people when they'll be able to get the book for the pre-sale so we can drive it up in the algorithm. Um, you know, leave, leave them with something on, you know, outside of the book. If you, if there's a way to connect or if they might have a big deal, maybe they just got like some, you know, awesome source of thought contract from the government. And they're like, I don't even know how to handle this. Cause you know, that happens all the time in government contracting. Um, so now you guys have someone to, to reach out to, to actually fulfill the contract that you live out, but leave them with that. Cause I definitely want to read the book and, you know, we'll take this off air and that's where, you know, I get to give, um, even, even more, but, uh, I, I love to hear, you know, when is this book coming out? So the book should be out in early October. And I'll certainly send you a copy. I would love for you to come down to Austin. So come down and visit us in Austin so I can show you a little bit, uh, a little bit of how the city's evolved since the last time you've been down. Um, and look, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. I mean, I, I, I learned that recently and I'm, I'm kind of like you, man. Like I never really was into social media or, um, you know, my, <laughs> one of my, you know, dearest friends, you know, who I really, I call a brother now, honestly, and he really is my brother is he's the son of one of my mentors, but you know, he told me that I have a verified Instagram. I learned this about six months ago, nine months ago, whatever it was. I was like, what does that mean? 
Like, I, I mean, I don't even know what that is. Like, I, like literally, like I never, I mean, we had like a Facebook page or a link, like me, but I never, I, I don't even know what that means. Like I, I've just now started to, you know, understand that. So I guess I'm getting old, you know, in, in that respect, but I learned recently that a, an 11 year old boy um, in the UK, him and his mother reached out to reached out to us and we're writing a children's book together, literally. And so I figure if at 11, now 12, his birthday was recently Paolo, unbelievable kid. Uh, if he can find me, anybody can. So you can look up my name, Google me, find me. I'm pretty accessible in that regard. Um, but yeah, I mean, at Rastigar on Instagram, um, or just, you know, type in my name, you know, and you can find more than more, more than you bargain for. This is a man who can do everything. If you see him with a feature with Nav, do not be shocked. There's a reason why, you know, he's verified. He's in. You guys have got the game. Check out the links in the description box. Be blessed, y'all. Are you tired of the rat race in America? Are you ready to visit the motherland to relax and rejuvenate? Are you ready to explore all that Africa has to offer? Then check out the brand new Diversified Game Academy course, Prepare for My First Trip to Africa. Are you worried about being able to afford the trip? We got you. We will show you how to travel either on a budget or as a baller. Learn how to stress the value of the USD. Did you know that 100 United States dollars is worth over 1,000 South African rand or 10,000 Kenyan shillings? or 54,250 West African CFA. Are you worried about taking your kids? Get the game from Kellen Cash, a bona fide world traveler, having traveled to almost 20 countries, several of those in Africa. Get the game on taking your kids on their first trips. Learn how to find the best tickets, get the visas, and plan your own adventures in Africa. Don't let Eddie Murphy have all the fun. Plan your own coming to Africa trip starring you, produced by you, and featuring you. If you are ready for a life-changing experience, sign up for our course today, Diversified Game Academy. Get prepared and purchase at diversifiedgame.com. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.